This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Hi, I'm Jesse. Hi, I'm Misa. And we're going to talk about Burglars Can't Be Choosers, a 1977 uh, novel by Lawrence Block. Um, we read we read together uh, another Lawrence Block novel, right? Yes, we did. Oh, was it which one was it? It's a Matt Scudder book. Uh, we did read a Matt Scudder book. A but Walk we Among also... the Tombstones, right? No, it wasn't. It oh. was. Um... Maybe, maybe is that what it was called? I think it was a walk among the tombstones. Yeah. Yeah, with the with the murderer who cut up yep. women. Yep. Yes. Yes. Okay. I couldn't remember the title. All I remember is the women. Uh, that was uh, uh, that was the most brutal book, really. For that was the most brutal book I've ever read. It's pretty brutal. Yeah. Um, what I forgot about this one, and I, I, I've read it, of course, uh, I read it years and years ago. I forgot that it was full of sex. I forgot all that. All I remembered was the comedy and the uh, the mystery. Right, right. It was really a fun read. It's a he's a great writer. I love his writing. He really is. I love this one. Like this one, it remi- like it was like a treasure hunt because there were so many little gems yep. just sitting there, just waiting for you to bump into them and go, whoa, whoa, look at that. Is that ever cool? Did you uh, have any possibility of solving the mystery? Uh, I don't think so. No, did you? Uh, I didn't, I think the first time I read it was, I, I actually sent you the audiobook, uh, yeah. the two cassette, oh, was, the yeah. two cassette audiobook. So I don't think I, it was a fair chance the first time I read it, mm-hmm. you know, with only two cassettes, that's an abridgment of, this is a, normally a five or four and a half cassette, um, audiobook. Right. Um, so it, it's just under six hours, I think, which is mm-hmm. really nice and short. Um, yeah, but it was well, a good length though. Like it was short, but it, but it, it, like it, it percolated along. It sure did. Uh, percolated being uh, having to do with all the coffee drinking in the book as well, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a lot of coffee, a lot of sex, a lot of jokes. Uh, or yeah. At least word humor, word play. Love all the word play. He's he's so fun. I mean. <laughs> This is why I love to read Lawrence Block books, even when, you know, it's book whatever in the series. Um, and this one, yeah, I went up to, it's at currently at 11 books in the series. And I've, uh, we were talking before we started uh, about which, how many I've read. I've read, I think, all but the last one, uh, most recent one. And there's a couple of, short, well, it says three short stories, and I've read all three. Oh, four short stories. I've read all four of those. Um and uh the thing i like about it other than the great writing just yeah the percolating dialogue and turns of phrase and even the way the story is told mm-hmm. is um is that it is a it's a sort of an agatha christie style mystery mhm and i didn't mm-hmm. think when i first heard it on that two cassette audiobook with the uh, the narrator being the author who is a excellent narrator actually he, he does such a good job he's really good um what i like about it is that 
it is a mystery and that you're intellectually engaged even though you're you know bouncing along with the, the story mm-hmm. um once you realize that when i listened to the first book the first time i didn't know what genre i was in exactly but this is another kind of genre than um i think the matt scudder slightly because mm-hmm. it it turns the um the the horror of crime which is in there and i don't think we have as much an opportunity to solve as uh into an agatha christie style you know miss marple cozy murder mystery right yeah well the whole thing was though it was like it was like a magician this book like he kept on there was so much sleight of hand and so many like false directions you know you look one way he's actually doing something completely different and it was great you know the the whole purloined letter was through the whole thing Mm -hmm. and uh i sent you the afterword that's not in the audiobook we listened to um that's in the blackstone version that was pretty cool like can you imagine how successful before he wrote this Mm -hmm. he he was a, a, a such a successful writer and he said Maybe I'll try crime. <laughs> Where does that, that come from? Well, that's, uh, I think it's pretty much his brain because um, everything that you see on the page, the turns of phrase, he when you see him interviewed or whatever, he he's he's got that sort of sparkling um, personality, turns of phrase. So he's he's he is Bernie Rodenbar in a certain sense, right? He's mm-hmm. Bernie Rodenbar is a little more suave and a little more. Uh, he's always the same age, right? He doesn't get older and older, uh, right. like like Matt Scudder does. He's always thirty five. He's always um, quick with quick to fall into bed of, of whatever attractive woman is trying to murder him or whatever. <laughs> Do they all do they are they all turned on by a burglar? Because this is the only one I've read. So do all women fall for his burglar charms well, because he's a burglar? What what I think immediately happens after the first book, this book, everything slightly changes. Uh-huh. Um, and one of the things that shows up in this book is that uh, the girlfriend who has two names, uh, Ruth Hightower, we'll call her for the moment. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> Ruth Hightower says. You can you're, call me Roger then. <laughs> that's right. You're gonna you're gonna keep being a burglar, and he says, <laughs> "Of course." <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, well, that's not true in the second book. In the second book, and and subsequently, um, he becomes a bookseller, who okay. is a burglar as well. So he, he he owns a bookstore in New York, uh, and people come in and they say, "I want you to burgle something." And, and he really? usually, so it's like his front for his burglary business. Yeah, sort of, except he's not, you know, a lot of the things that are going on. What what I really like about um, Block's dialogue and Block's writing is that when he's telling the story, usually first person like this, mm-hmm. we don't know what's going on in the character's mind. Some of the times we know what he's saying. Mm-hmm. So the whole back end of this book or the last, I don't know, couple of chapters where Bernie's seeing things that we're not allowed to see, you know, yeah. hide, yeah. hidden yeah. away. And, and when the locks are turning in his brain and you're like, what, what's happened? Right. What is happening? We're going to get the reveal soon, but we don't know what yeah. the reveal is yet. Um, except for those parts, basically the psychology of the, uh, 
of the character is a mystery to himself as well. And so mm-hmm. in in the subsequent books, uh, he has a partner, kind of, in crime. Huh? A friend of his who is named Carolyn. Um, mm-hmm. And she is uh, she works down the street, maybe next door uh, to his bookstore. And she's a lesbian who grooms poodles. She works at a store <laughs> called the Poodle Factory, and uh, they're best friends. And then uh, he gets into trouble, and instead of having you know a Ruth Hightower in every book, mm-hmm. um, there might be a Ruth Hightower, but uh, she's not the one who shares all the dialogue. So she's like Watson, kind of. Ah, uh-huh. okay. And in order cool. to keep the the sort of the story going without it being. Uh, too full of coincidence. I think that that made made a lot of sense. Even though he says I'm just going to keep being a burglar, he is still a burglar in all the subsequent books. But he's he's much more. Um, uh, I don't know. It, it it almost becomes a parody, but it can't really be because it always was a parody. You know. Yeah, yeah. Well, you can see that that love of books. Like when he breaks into mm-hmm. um, Francis's apartment, all he wants to do, he he like. What he does is he imagines himself sitting there reading and reading and reading. Like that's him. Right. He's only he's only burgling so that he can have a relaxed life with port and you know whatever else he wants to drink. And that's actually right in that um, that afterward as well, right? He says when he's contemplating a life of crime, Robin Hood, you know, knew what people to hang out with when you're doing crime. You hang out with rich people, right? You break into their house and. You settle. He said surroundings. Yeah, that's right. Settle in with a. There's a line in there in the first chapter where he says uh, what kind of dog he should have if he's yeah right, and then it's maybe a stuffed dog. (laughs) (laughs) Stuffed dog. Okay. (laughs) Because (laughs) a lot of dogs a lot of work. I'm I'm gonna go on the record and say I agree. Stuffed dogs. No shedding, no trouble. <laughs> yeah, no barking in the middle of the night. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, the other thing that's amazing, um, and I think it's terrific, is that when he f- when he's writing that first chapter, he doesn't know who the murderer is, right? But when <laughs> he shares it with a with a friend, uh, and says, "I'm having trouble with this book," the friend says, "Oh yeah, it's obvious who the murderer is." Yeah, um, uh, yeah. And I, I was wondering how far in the book he was at that point because I couldn't tell if that was just from a chapter or if he had been. I thought he had been writing it for a while. Like to me, it seemed like he was almost halfway through or something, but I couldn't tell. So you think it was really early on? I think he. Uh, the way he learned, I don't know him personally. I've communicated with him, but I've read all his pretty much all his books, so yeah. I know how what kind of style of writer he is. He just starts writing. I don't think he plots and graphs and all that mm-hmm. stuff. Even though this one feels everything is so carefully set like a, a jewel in a certain sense. Um, yeah. yeah. It's very carefully put together. Um, it feels like anyways. But I, I don't think – I think the setup there with the with the murder, you know, the murder in the, in the bedroom, not – Okay, maybe just outline it a bit. He breaks into the apartment. Uh, he's he's going through the desk. The cops walk in, and there's 
a dead man in the bedroom. Yeah. Who he doesn't know about. Mm-hmm. That that situation, I think I think he didn't know who the murderer was, just like he says. Yeah, I think he didn't know. But but my question is, did he not know like for a while? Did like I'm just wondering how long he wrote before he didn't know, or did, if he just wrote the chapter and then decided to figure it out then. I think a lot of it is unconscious and it just bubbles up because one of the things that happens when I guess I reread this book as an unabridged book is I was suspect and I probably forgot and or buried some of the knowledge of the abridged book. But one of the things I, I thought is, oh, Ruth's, Ruth's the murderer. Mm-hmm. Right. Did you yeah. suspect well, her? I thought, I thought it might be Ruth. Yeah. I, or, um, I, yeah, I, I, it was some unknown person that was, that had hired some, the actor. Like, I just didn't know. Yeah. Well, that's the thing is, is that we're always expecting some other person to show up, right? Somebody's lurking in the, in the, in the shadows. Like, you just don't, yeah. And that person never does turn up, right? That mm-hmm. lurker in the shadows never does turn up. And uh, one of the things that you could criticize the book. right there. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things you could criticize the book for is, is how small New York is, right? It seems to only have about seven people in it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But you know, like the fact that Ruth was at the crime scene right before he was, and that he goes to the same building she lives in. um, If you look at a little bit too closely, it 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 fits um, too Agatha Christie neat. I was going to say, yeah, but that's like, that's the genre. I mean, right. As soon as you know what genre you're in, he's playing totally by the rules. And this is, uh, I think, going right to the back to the science fiction book we did. Right. That Hal Clement book. Oh, yes. (laughs) The heavy one. Right. Uh, What what was the. I can't remember Um, the the book, but um, the, the Hal Clement hard science fiction novel where he lays he lays out what kind of book he's writing um mm-hmm. he's playing by certain rules now you play the game too by being intellectually engaged so when bernie is trying to figure out what who the murderer is and how he's going to get out of out from under we are supposed to be playing the game with him yes and the red herrings that come out are mostly his sparkling dialogue right his his yeah. his retelling and his, you know, he he tells like the the two if by C, right? That line that mm-hmm. and Ruth Hightower by the right. <laughs> yeah. So he will, in in rev- revision of the book, Block is very careful to put all of the evidence before us as yes. much of it as possible, anyways. Yeah. That's after he's got the story, after he figures it out himself. Right. He goes and then him. polishes it up and makes it really yeah. terrific. Um, so I, what I, one of the things I noticed in this one is I thought, oh, it doesn't fit with a lot of the other books in the series. Um, because all the other books in the series sort of have a particular uh, hobby horse that that book is dealing with. So uh, just looking at the book list, right? Mm-hmm. I don't remember The Burglar in the Closet that well, <laughs> but... The, the burglar who liked to quote Kipling. This is um, <laughs> a yeah. terrific title. It's um, it's a uh, the heist is he steals a lost Kipling book 
um, that has value, right? And he, of course, does some nice uh, fake Kipling um, dog roll in it. Um, yeah. Because Block's a reader and a yes, fan. Yes, obviously. <laughs> um, the next one, book four, The Burglar Who Studied Spinoza, right? The Philosopher. Uh-huh. Uh, the Burglar Who Painted Like Mondrian. Um, oh. the, you know, that guy who wrote the... Uh, not, he's a painter of the straight line drawing or... It's a painting of basically a grid with white and black and red and green. I'm not familiar. Okay. Well, if you type, just uh, click in or type in Mondrian and you'll see they're, they're super simple designs. Um, mm-hmm. it, what he's famous for. Composition 2 in red, blue, and yellow. They look like, um, you know, they're not even paintings really. They're just rectangles and squares with black lines separating them and then some of them are white and some of them are yellow it's very primary colors uh-huh um so if you wanted to do a fake mondrian it's pretty easy right yeah so the burglar who painted like mondrian is 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 dealing with the art world um right. the burglar who traded ted williams that's dealing with a baseball or baseball collecting and baseball cards right, right. the uh, one of the ones i think you will love is called the burglar who thought he was bogart um, oh. because that's about going to the movies and um, t- uh, being in a Humphrey Bogart-style drama. Right. Cool. The Burglar in the Library um, is, uh, again, uh, back to the books. And um, I think that one's set in a, a remote, you know, countryside hotel with a locked room murder mystery after a snowfall or something like that. So it's a it's a up and up who done it um one of these people in this building is murdering off everyone else you know sort of thing the burglar in the rye is uh about <laughs> about uh the catcher in the rye and yeah that's before the um the uh, did we have a sequel to the catcher in the rye in the last 10 is years there? i didn't yeah there is i didn't read it but no, yeah me neither. i never read catcher in the rye so um, oh. I can't say how close it is, but I, I know all about the book. So, right. and then Burglar on the Prowl, and then the Burglar Who Counted Spoons. Um, one of the is things T.S. Eliot uh, yeah, could be <laughs> all of the uh, things that these have in common. There's also a couple of short stories. Uh, one's the Burglar Who Smelled Smoke, and the Burglar Who Dropped In on Elvis. Those are all told in first person. Everything's told in first person. The very first story, I think, is um, like A Thief in the Night or A Bad Night for Burglars, where those are not told first person. Mm-hmm. Um, and Bern, So we never get inside Bernie's head, and he doesn't even feel like the same style of story because of that. And they're, they're not told first person. So um, it totally makes a difference, I think. To right. have it be from uh, this character's point of view. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the short, the short, so but the first, this is the first novel. Was there a short story prior? I think there was, but uh, it may. And that's uh, yeah, it's not. I'm not 100 percent sure. I, I, I found it in a uh, short audiobook collection, short story collection, and I, I didn't realize it was a. Uh, Bernie Rodenberg story because he's never given his last name. It just says Bernie. Maybe it was a prototype. Yeah. Like a, 
Mm. And he does talk about having, yeah, done something like that. But, but I guess how I got on this is I didn't realize that the that this book, in looking at it now, it fits into that genre a little bit of of you know sort of focusing in on one area of art in New York, you know, mm-hmm. um, uh, if or or collecting or whatever. Yeah, it, yeah. So this is the theater one. That's exactly what I was, I was going to say. It's the theater, right? It's all yeah. about everybody's an actor. Yeah. And yeah. I want I wanted to run this theory past you. Everyone in the book has a another name or a mm-hmm. hidden identity. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yes. Even even the cops. Yes. Um absolutely. You know what I to take that a step further, I think the burglars who can't be choosers isn't Bernie in this book. <laughs> okay. It's it's Lauren because <laughs> Because remember when when Bernie breaks into the um, into the agent's office and he takes eighty five bucks mm-hmm. and he says the reason the reason that he did that is be- something like some burglar code of ethics he says I I've never believed in overlooking cash right so Lauren who who steps in on this guy right. he's a burglar like I I never believed in overlooking cash that's that's his that's his mo according to the other cop too right so he takes it and then and then he has no choice the guy wakes up and like whatever happens he kills him like he's the one with no choices bernie has millions of choices all through the book but this guy i think that's who the title is about and as you said it's like a the other identity yeah um at at one point bernie puts on the the costume of 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 right yeah well which one's the which one's the real burglar right <laughs> the guy right. whose costume he's wearing or or the burglar underneath well, the yeah, costume they, they totally switch and he solves the 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 crime and like yeah they totally switch yeah who's the good guy who's the bad guy so yeah. wesley brill uh you know that character he he doesn't give his name as whatever role he's improvising he's just the heavy right yeah <laughs> playing the heavy uh, yeah um, but uh, he's also, he's that, he's also, in a sense, Lawrence Block, right? Because he's lost his skill, right? That's yeah. the, oh, yeah. right? He, he, his ability to memorize the lines, uh, mm-hmm. is gone. He can improvise. Um, and this is the book where he gets his skill back, right? That's right. It That's is a, right. a certain kind of magic, the ability to write. I think. Yeah. You would know I, I, better than I, fiction anyways, I, right? Well, I, I know the mad, I know losing the magic very well too. I think a lot of people do. <laughs> yeah. He, yeah. He, Lawrence Block, as long as I've been reading him, has been retiring from writing, but, you know, he says, you know, I don't think I'm going to write anymore. I, I think, I think I'm, I, I'm done with, but. Wasn't there some some other writer that we talked about in a a different podcast who was always retiring too? It it might have been just him, and we talked about that uh, Um, with the um, maybe with the the, walk among the tombstones. Yeah. However, um, you can see here he uh, when he was in 1976 when he was when he was writing it, um, and he was drifting across the country, staying in hotels and. The credit card he wastes trying to just <laughs> break into his own hotel room. <laughs> yeah, that didn't open any doors anyway. That was right. so he wasn't even writing the book. He was just talking there. <laughs> right. No, it's pretty terrific. Um, 
he that's uh, that skill of uh translating his own life into into it is pretty amazing because all of his books are kind of like this right writers who write for a living don't have nine to five jobs like other people like they're not lawyers (laughs) and they're not actually cops and they're not any of that stuff right so the lifestyle that he he transfers to uh to bernie is really his lifestyle where he says i do three or four or five jobs a year (laughs) right three or four or five books a year and then i go to the theater and then um Mm -hmm. and then his his life is sort of falling apart there right moving to california um obviously going through a divorce like ruth hightower had right yeah um separated from your family and all uh, just transferring all of the um the and, and translating all of the different aspects of his own life into that of this character and their care the characters in the world and then throwing in this murder mystery uh like edgar Allan poe's the purloined letter and uh all of that is it's just an it's an amazing sort of soup of of goodness it really is. He's a soup fiend, as it says in, just like the, the missing actor, right? Yeah. In two F by C. He's also the man in the middle. <laughs> Good point. I didn't think yes. about that. You're right. Yes, he is. No, yeah, it's because it's it's like it's like um it's like Russian dolls. Just it's just inside every time you open it, there's something else inside it. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> it's it's funny because um I, I would have thought that this book would be much better known, given how good it is. Um, people, you know, there was a a movie adaptation of it. Very. There was? Well, uh, okay, no, it was for the second book, The Burglar in the Closet. That was the the Whoopi Goldberg uh, playing Bernie Rodenbar. Oh, yeah, you missed, yeah, okay. (laughs) With, um, yeah. (laughs) But it's not a great movie. It's not a terrible movie either, but it's just very far away from, you know, it it moves it out of New York and, and the... Everything is gender swapped, so uh, the uh, lesbian uh, poodle groomer is now played by uh, a man, um, Bobcat Goldthwait. Right? So, uh-huh. <laughs> and it's still a comedy, but it's it turns it into an action heist movie. Rather, I don't think that this can be tr- like I was. I was thinking because no, there's too much word. It's just too much in the words. I mean, I'm sure it could exactly. make a good movie. But you would you'd lose the like the percolating. It's all of it. yeah, percolating wordplay. Yeah, I was thinking, oh, it'd make a great comic. Um, and certainly there's a lot of um, uh, great imagery to be drawn from the text. However, there at the end there is a lot of um, explanation that can't be easily put into comics. You know, all the I was doing this and here's my theory as to what you were doing. And right. That one, that that's not great for comics, that exposition. Mm-hmm. Um, and that always comes with uh, a Hercule Poirot, you know, sort of right. yeah. uh, ending after the setup, right? We need yeah. that, that 
release and it doesn't it wouldn't so i think that might be part partly why it's not that well known but even among book book lovers i think it's not that well known enough obviously it's it's sold right mm-hmm. it's got a series but the even the matt matt scudder books are much more popular at least in my view of of what uh i've seen other people talking about right well, I didn't. I had never heard of. I mean, I hadn't heard of Matt Scudder either. But um, right. Well, there's a lot, I, there's a lot of books out there, I guess. There are. <laughs> and I would not have known that this book existed, other than they were on sale at a bookstore. Um, and there was, you know, two two audio books for ten bucks or something. And I'm like, damn, I'll take that. And I got really? this one, and I think the Burglar in the Closet, uh, as you know. The one, the one I sent you with uh, Lawrence Block reading it, and it's, mm-hmm. it's abridged, but terrific Penguin audio uh, audiobooks. Yeah, with sounds, with ambience, it was really good. Mm-hmm. What did you think of the uh, unabridged version, or did you just read the PDF? I, no, 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 I listened to the unabridged version, and I, I thought whoever uh, read Richard that Ferone. did Richard Ferone. Richard Ferone. Great job too. I think he's terrific. Yeah, I actually have like four or five different audiobook versions of this, um, for some reason, but uh, I think he's the best one. Well, I'm glad that's the one I heard. He, yeah, he totally captured it. Uh, yeah, no, he read really, really well. Yeah, that's the recorded books, books edition. So, um, just going through, I wanted to see if if I was right about the masks, all the different masks people wear. Okay. Uh, so Ro- what was Roger? It was Roger, Roger Armitage. Armitage, Arm- right? I'm Ro- I'm Roger Armitage. I'm Ruth Har- Hightower. <laughs> <laughs> right? They're lying to each other. She knows yeah. he's lying yeah. at the beginning. We don't know that she knows. We don't know she's mm-hmm. lying at the beginning, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then Bernie knows she's lying, but we don't know she's lying. Right about her name, after a certain point. He knows she's lying when um, when they meet up with um, with Brill, Brill, right? Who has no name. (laughs) He's just the heavy. Yeah. And then, oh no, he said he says call me Wes, right? So Wesley Brill is his his stage name. That's not even his real name, right? It was John Wesley, wasn't it? Oh, I, I, I wasn't sure. I know they said because he wasn't in the phone book and she said he might have changed his name because some other actor might have had it. But I, I, I wasn't sure if that was his real name or not. No. So when he uh, when he he's finally confronted in his hotel room, he shows up in his hotel room, which is uh, I want to talk about that um, when <laughs> when they they're waiting for him. He comes in and he says, oh, and he's got a different sort oh, of there personality. You are. Oh, there yeah. you have, right. So he's got this whole different personality. Um, yeah. And he, he says, uh, we broke into your office, and then he says, or your agent's office, call me Wes. Don't call me yes. Wesley. Wesley's not even my real name. Well, my real name that. was John Wesley. Uh, John. Um, my mo- And then I think Bernie says uh, his mother was obviously a fan of uh, – the founder of Methodism or something. Right, 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 right. right. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I'm thinking okay. it was John. It might not have been. But um, yeah. uh, that, the fact that he's got a fake name as uh, for his job in the in the movies, right? And we, 
like I was trying to think. I don't know when I knew what about this book, but at the time, to- at the point where um, he's he, Bernie's saying he's really recognizable, but he's not from my he's not from my no. work life, and I don't know him from prison. Uh, yeah, he doesn't live in my building, um, but I know him. <laughs> And like I've yeah. had that experience, haven't you? Right? You know, there's somebody who you can't figure out how you know somebody, how they fit yeah. into your life, and there's some aspect of your own life that you're not fully um, associating with your own life. And that's, you know, that's Sydney Green. He's he, I I picture him as Sydney Greenstreet. You know, um, who that is? No. Okay, he he's actually mentioned in this book as well. So there's, you know, who Peter Laurie is? Yeah. Okay. Oh so, yeah, yeah. Um, I think it's in the Maltese Falcon. They're both in it. Uh, so, Which I'm gonna watch next week. Oh, is that when it's? We gotta, I gotta get on that. Okay. So. Um, yeah. Well, no, it's yeah. Okay. Okay. So the Mal- in the, I think it's the Maltese Falcon. There's two guys looking for the bird, right? One's mm-hmm. Sydney Greenstreet, and the other one's. Um, uh, Peter Laurie, and everybody's after the rara avis, right? The rare bird. Um, mm-hmm. Sydney Greenstreet's the fat guy who's looking for the pear-shaped man, right? Oh, okay, so yeah. Okay. I'm thinking that he's he's our <laughs> okay. stand-in for St- Sydney Greenstreet, right? Um, in this sort of uh, pre-telling of um, the the burglar who thought he was Bogart, right? Um, <laughs> and and so he's got this hidden identity. Um, and then I told you uh, about, well, I sent you a short story and you mm-hmm. said you, you found it delightful. You weren't sad and saddened by the short story. Brought to um, tears. Well, you know what? I liked it because of all the theater references. That was what delighted me that everybody was playing their role. That's what I liked about it. But at the end, didn't, weren't you devastated? Uh, yes. <laughs> That's the whole point of it is to bring you to tears, basically, right? <laughs> of that story. I'm brought yes. to tears by the end. She's so, she's so deluded and she's on the verge of tears from the beginning of the story. Right to the but end. But it didn't feel, it didn't feel real though. Cause I, because it felt like she was just playing her part. Okay. So I didn't, I didn't feel like it was because when, it's like when you it's like okay an, an actor comes and and yes he plays this horrible role and he, and he dies in a bloody battle on stage but then the curtain goes down and he gets up and, and goes have tea. Oh okay well I I I, I I was devastated by it. <laughs> Here's here's what um, I'll tell you about. So first, I should probably mention what the story is and all that. So the name of the story is Miss Brill. Um, it's not Mrs. Brill. It's Miss Brill. And it's uh, written by Catherine Mansfield. I believe it's from 1920. Um, and it's about a lady who works as, a, I would say, an ESL teacher in probably France, probably Paris. And um, when she's not teaching... She lives in a very small apartment. Um, I see her as rather elderly. Yeah. Um, she uh, goes to the public garden, the Jardin Public, um, every day or at least once a week. Um, 
she has a regular spot spot and regular activity where she just basically eavesdrops on everybody around her and creates in the same way that uh, Bernie does sort of a uh, an internal life right mm-hmm. instead of having a, a really close friend Bernie has um, a sort of an active imagination right um, and yeah. In that story, she at the beginning of the story, she takes out a fox stole that's been in the in uh, the closet in a box for the summer. And now that it's getting colder, colder, she pulls it out, and it's not in great condition. Something wrong with the nose. Uh, it's full of moth powder because she's trying to prevent it from getting eaten more, I guess. Mm. And she puts that on and she starts going out and she's almost at the verge of tears throughout when finally she sits, sits down to listen and a young couple that she has imagined a whole life for. Um, he says, you know, she's, she's, uh, a rich woman and they've just come from his yacht. And, and now she sits down to settle, to listen to what they're actually saying. And they start talking about her. And they, you know, the boy wants to kiss on the girl or whatever. And she says, no, not here. Not now. Not with her looking at us. Um, She looks just like the thing wrapped around her neck. Um, A fried whiting, which is a fish, right? A flat fish, Uh like a flounder. So her beautiful fox stole, in her mind, has been suddenly transformed into a, a horrible fish carry a fish around on your neck and then the next very next scene is you know normally she would stop at the at the uh bakery and get a a slice of honey cake and if it was a good day there would be a piece of almond on the cake Mm -hmm. but she didn't stop today and then she puts the fox stole away and she hears a little crying coming maybe from the box and that's the end of the story now uh you know what i misread it i i i um i was thinking that the whole thing was well once once i started reading that you know they're all playing their parts I, my mind must have been wandering <laughs> I, um, because yeah the ending uh, you said something really funny you said like that was delightful or something like what no you're supposed to be devastated yeah. um you anyways. know I, I was yeah one of the one of the things uh, I, why this I bring this up is I, I've done I did a show with Eric on this story. Um, oh, you did. One, yeah, one of my one of my friends, um, Julie Hoverson, actually did the narration for the audiobook of it. I put it up on the website, um, and at the end of that narration, she's in tears. You can hear her, oh. but it's barely able to get the last words out because it's so devastating. Um, it's about this lonely, sad woman who th- was just trying to keep her shit together mm-hmm. and with delusion, right? With deluding herself and even her delusions eventually break and she's broken. Um, her name, Brill mm-hmm. uh, is the same name as our character, Wesley Brill, right? Who lives in a little box room with all the neighbors next door having sex all the time. Right. Um, yeah. That hotel is a, uh, you know, a sex a sex hotel, right? 
mm-hmm. I don't know what the special word is for it, but his room is slightly nicer than all the other ones. But um, the only reason people go there is for, you know, have sex with hookers or whatever. But he, uh, I got the sense he was gay, but he's alone and he has no skill anymore. He's down to doing this terror. So he's in a, in a certain sense, very much like Mrs. Brill in the story. Yeah, he is. And uh, so I asked Lawrence Block, um, were you inspired to <laughs> give this character this name? And he's like, no, I've never heard of that story. <laughs> um, it's interesting. <laughs> it is really interesting. Uh, but the other thing that's really interesting is that, he, and I didn't know this the first time I read it, but I'm very careful. Um, a, guess what a brill is? It uh, is a fish. Oh, yeah? So the description, it is a white fish. It's a flounder. Uh, the description of her in the story is a description of not just the fox doll, but her. So it's like a nest, like you were saying, a nested doll. Mm-hmm. That's what that's what that story is, right? The right. little box that she uh, at the beginning of the story, she says that the nose must have been hit somehow because it was almost coming off, right? Well, she gets a hit, right? At the end of the story, mm-hmm. with these kids talking about her, you know, having this horrible s- stole and how she looks hilarious instead of. And inside the story, there's another woman whose her name is. Um, Miss Brill calls her the ermine toque, uh, which is like the fur hat. Yeah. And she describes what this woman looks like and how she is knocked on the nose by the man she's with in a certain sense. You know, metaphorically, she's knocked on the nose. And she she desperately wanders off. Miss Brill doesn't see that that's a mirror of her as well. Mm-hmm. So that everything is, is reflecting everything else. And that... that that doesn't happen in real life, but in stories, it's it's eerie. And and the fact that Block doesn't doesn't know that he's sort of recaptured this exact same thing without you know even having read it, I think that that's amazing. Yeah. Because you know you could say I'm reading too much into it, but um, I I'm not sure. It's a <laughs> it's possible that that character Brill has been used again and again um, and or echoed again and again in that, you know, it seems like Goldilocks is in more than one of the, the fairy or the folk tales, you know, yeah, these uh, sort of archetypes. Yes. Right. But, but the, the, you know, do you, with the same name though, that's um, no, this, yeah, it's, this, uh, that's, that's the coincidence, but just thinking yeah. of all the characters in this book, right. One of the things that struck me in listening to it this time is that uh, Bernie seems to think that Ruth has a husband. She just assu- he assumes it over and over again. Mm-hmm. Um, and is that your husband? Well, because name? because she says right off the bat, I, didn't she say I divorced? She Isn't did that say she was divorced. High towers. But then. Before she says that, he he actually says um, she she says uh, doesn't your husband mind or something like that? And he says I'm not married, I'm divorced, which is not true because that's her uh, character, right? Yeah. And then when he finds out her real name, uh, which is well, mm-hmm. Ellie, right? Yeah. Um, uh, he asks, uh, is that your husband's last name or something like that? 
even while he's cheating on whatever husband it is, right? So there's a lot of cheating going on in this book, mm. if you see what I mean as well. Yeah, because... when I read that, I thought that he was talking about the husband she divorced. Oh, okay. Well, I I assume, like, thinking about how... um. Uh, the the ultimate the ultimate woman who's hired Bernie right behind mm-hmm. Wesley. What's her name? Yeah, I can't her remember. Name her name is uh, D- starts with D. Okay. Um. So, so she, he Bernie's actually cheating on on Ellie with this woman. Darla, Darla Sandoval. Darla, that's right, Darla Sandoval. Yeah, he hasn't cheated yet. He's going to though. <laughs> <laughs> um okay <laughs> but uh it certainly implied that he is oh no he, he's 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 hung up his his cop suit his <laughs> cop costume there he's ready to go back right um <laughs> yeah his costume exactly um so he's he's cheating on her in a in at least in his mind she's yeah. cheating on her husband right mm-hmm. um the all, the metaphors about breaking into uh, you know uh, the way Ellie slash Ruth thinks about how um, you know you don't even need those burglars tools you to don't open even need those tools yeah yeah they just <laughs> open up under your hands yeah they turn all mushy inside right <laughs> yeah <laughs> stroke the locks she says that's right um, that uh, that idea of of um, him breaking in being sort of a sexual thing. It's a power. It's certainly power, right? The ability to open locks um, that everyone else has to have a key mm-hmm. to get through. One, one of the, th- I, I've actually, I don't want to say I modeled my life on Bernie Rodenbart, but I certainly want to say <laughs> that I, I've, I am very interested in locks and lock picking and that sort of thing. And one really? of the, Oh yeah. I, um, I used to, uh, run a business and you have to have a lot of when you have a business you have a lot of doors and a lot of keys right yeah um and it i'm a very philosophical guy so i i think about how locks and keys what they do and what they're for and one of one of the things i try to do now in my life is to have as few keys as possible and not to say i don't have as many locks as possible but as few keys Okay. Um, so I guess if you want to think of how regular people would think about it, think of how many passwords you have. Oh, right? yeah. So most people don't want to have any passwords because it's, uh, well, they, they just want to have one password. Hold right? all those things. Right. And of course, that's very dangerous because in today's world, you can have all your accounts broken into and all your money stolen and you're, lose your access to your Twitter feed or whatever. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Whatever it is, Um, you can't have all. If you use an easy password for everything and it's the same password, you're in trouble. Mm -hmm. Um, So uh, I'm I'm interested in the philosophical connections between keys and locks and and are what they're about, like power and um, speed for unlocking and. All that stuff. So I used to think of like I've got a whole ream of keys here because I have a business and I like to have access to places uh, when people are not home. You know, not to say I'm breaking into their homes and stuff, but um, so just to water their plants. Yeah, to water or take their dogs for a walk or whatever it is. (laughs) Yeah. Um, groom their poodles or whatever it is. 
Um, and I think, well, the more keys you have, that's the more responsibilities you have. Yes, they weigh you down. They do weigh you down. Literally, like if yeah. you're wearing a pair of shorts and you go out for a jog and you've got, uh, you know, six pounds of keys in your right front pocket. Um, they weigh you down physically and metaphorically. Exactly. It, it, they do weigh you down. And uh, so I try to have combination locks on things when so I don't physically weigh down, but I still have to. They, you have to memorize them, though. Which is another kind of weight, right? So Yeah. There, but ha, just having lock picks is the ability to open any lock without having more weight and also not having more responsibility. Right? Mm-hmm. So if I have a key to your place and you're you're on vacation, um, and you say, "Hey, can you water my plants?" and I don't really like your plants or I don't want to waste my time watering your plants, um, I can say, "I'm sorry, I don't have a key." <laughs> That's true. But if I have a pair of lockpicks and you know I'm um, skill, skilled at lockpicking, um, then you say, that doesn't matter. You can get in there and, and you know, water my plants or whatever, whatever it is. Um, so in a certain sense, Bernie is – he's hidden away his burglary life. At the beginning of the story, he has no close friends, right? He lives mm-hmm. alone in a, an apartment. Um, he has a, you know, a, a friendly relationship with his neighbor, Mrs. Hesh, right? Who always has a cigarette dangling from <laughs> yeah, the side uh, of yeah. her mouth. Might even you keep it there while eating. We don't know. <laughs> um, she, who has no problem with him, you know, robbing the momsers up on the east side or whatever it is. But... Mm-hmm. He would never uh, break into uh, anybody in their building and rape anyone like the other tenants seem to think. That was uh, a weird choice of like rape. Just throw that right in there. It is. It, it is. See, it's uh, it is kind of about power, right? Keys are mm-hmm. about power and locks are about power as well. And and so when that whole metaphor, you don't need the the the, the lock picks to get in is like. Yeah, it's, I mean, she's speaking, you know, as a kind of a a joke, but it is, power is attractive. And, but you know what, he's as attracted to his locksmithing powers as she is, because he, he describes it as uh, like a roller coaster. He says it's like sexual triumph, opening right, a lock. Right, right. But it's like, you know, you've done the seduction, right? Is mm-hmm. what it is, and the lock is given in. It says, "Okay, right, mm-hmm. <laughs> all right," and um, and and yeah, and and it does that at the end, like like this whole thing, this power thing. Like he he figures out the mystery while opening a lock. Like his mind gives into himself right. too. Right, and the fact that uh, he figures out uh, uh, maybe this is what you were pointing to when when Ray is opening the apartment door with the lock with the key. Mm-hmm. Um, he turns it how many times, right? One and a half Twice times. Instead of yeah, yeah. Um, and, and and the gears in in I, I was like the the words that Lawrence Block used. He was using sort of um, tumblers, tumbling, tumbling. Right? Yeah, and he didn't finish it though. He ended it. He used a different word like finish instead of tumble, tumble. Mm, but I was mm. like, I had the whole lock thing going, and I was just I was surprised he didn't finish it. Well, I think maybe the reason he didn't finish it too there was it maybe. Well, it would have been too um, clear. 
Yeah, yeah. He doesn't want it to be too clear. He doesn't want it to be too clear. Yeah. Because you want to, you want to be on the tip of understanding right at the point when he delivers the, uh, the speech, right? Mm, yeah. And that, that, um, I suppose you're wondering why I've gathered you all here, scene <laughs> that happens again and again in the Lawrence Block, uh, books is straight out of uh, Nero Wolf and the Rex Stout books. Do you know these books? I do not. Okay, so Rex Stout was an author uh, in the 20th century who was a successful mystery writer. You know, there's a few big names, right? Agatha Christie's from the UK, um, Arthur Conan Doyle from the UK, right? Yeah. Um, uh, there's Dashiell Hammett and uh, um, our guy who we've done already. Philip Marlowe? No, that's the character. That's Sam Spade we're going to do. <laughs> we're going to do Sam Spade. Well, the, the guy who wrote the Philip Marlowe books. Anyway, uh, Raymond Chandler. There you go. There's been a bunch of successful, you know, mystery writers. Rex Stout is maybe forgotten now, but he was pretty big in the in the middle of the 20th century. And his mm-hmm. character is like Sherlock Holmes, except he never leaves home. He's a true consulting detective. Huh. Wow. That's and interesting. It is very interesting. It's a nice variation. And the Watson is uh, named Archie Goodwin. He's a young, active, sort of fisty, fisticuffy guy. And mm-hmm. he's a private detective in the employ of Nero Wolf, who's like a, a cogitating machine, right? So Archie <laughs> goes out and does uh, the investigation, and he comes uh-huh. back. And he, one of his Archie's abilities is basically a perfect recall, right? He okay. can give a report on who said what, what, uh, what they were looking at, what, what color dress they were wearing, all of that stuff. And yeah. uh, so, whatever case comes up, right? The detective stays home, eats yeah. his meals, which are carefully prepared, and. He has an orchid garden on the roof of his home. And mm-hmm. whenever Archie's off doing his thing, he's doing his, you know, just enjoying the fine fine living. He's almost right. like an agoraphobe. He doesn't like going outside. But well, it's more like he just enjoys his home so much and enjoys his activities. But when Archie comes, um, he does this report. And then Rex Stout's... Uh, uh, Nero Wolf character cogitates on it for a while and then he says, Archie, I want you to gather all the suspects in the living room at six o'clock. Uh, yeah. Uh, right? Just after dinner or whatever. <laughs> He's always thinking about food and having great, great, uh, you know, wine and beer and all that stuff. And, and then when he walks in after dinner, um, he says, I suppose you, you're wondering why I've gathered you all here today. And That's a pretty famous, isn't it? It is very famous. And I think, I don't think it's in this book, but it's in pretty much all the other ones, uh, where we do have this reveal. In here, it's revealed in separate parts, right? So it's yes, interesting. It it's parceled out. It is parceled out. Uh, what's his, uh, um, Ray Kirschman, he gets one story, right? Yeah. Part of the story. Um, Wesley also gets part of the story, I guess, earlier, right? Um, yeah. And then Mrs. Sandoval gets another part of the story. 
And then finally Ellie gets another part of the story. Mm-hmm. And then I guess we get all of the story because of all the three parcelings out. But it, normally the way he would do it is just the way uh, Rex Stout would, which is to gather all the suspects in the room and then say, you know, when the murder happened, you were upstairs having sex with that woman's wife um, or whatever. I, <laughs> and <that>? Yeah. <laughs> And, uh, and although you're, uh, you were my first suspect, you were actually only, uh, no, poisoning him. You did not do the actual stabbing. <laughs> and, and it explains all of the different parts that fit together so the participant reader can have the experience of having it all explained. Right. Um, that sounded a little bit like Hounds of the Baskerville yeah. in terms of, yeah, because Watson did that whole thing while, while right. Sherlock stayed stayed back. You're right. That is pretty much how, yeah, he's hiding in a, out in the field um, for part of yeah. it for some reason. Uh, I think I think that was probably um, Conan Doyle getting bored of the form and changing it up a bit. And just like, I'm going to try this one. Yeah. Yep. Try it this way, try it that way, yeah. It's, of course, the most classic of all, I think, the stories, right, is that one where he mixes it up and has the main character not even on stage for most of the most of the book. Mm-hmm. Which is which is kind of um, why I think it works so well is because we are Bernie's confederate. We are Bernie's... We are. Watson. We are. He's got Bernie. Like we're just so much rooting for Bernie and loving Bernie. Yep. And and everything that he explains to us is like we're following along. We're seeing mm. what he's seeing almost all the time. And then there's that point. Uh, uh, you know, no one can explain the singular events of that night. <laughs> uh, what's the line go from the Silver Blaze? Um, uh, the incident of the dog in the nighttime. Oh. And, and then Watson <laughs> says, uh, there was no incident. And he says, precisely. <laughs> <laughs> right? The dog didn't bark. Therefore, the owner stole his right. own horse. Oh, it's brilliant, right? So yeah. we're that character. And I think that's why the, you know, uh, other than the fact that it's got sparkling dialogue and it's very well put together. Um, yeah. But did you feel like he like he cheated us? At, oh, at some totally. Point? He totally yeah. cheated us. Because he, he, he says, oh, I figured this out a long time ago. And, and I'm reading going, well, when? Wh- where? Yeah. How, how come I wasn't aware of this? <laughs> um, you know, in the same way that um, Block says that he, he, he had a friend of him point out who the murderer was. It was obvious. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that in a certain sense, it was worked out. Um, but he didn't know also, you know, the unconscious and, you know, you know, like I I never had a husband cheat on me or anything, but, uh, I think people, they say this all the time, right? I knew he was cheating on me, even though I had no evidence. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and there's a lot of cheating going on in this book. Um, but there is, there is. Yeah. And 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 like in 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 so on so many levels, you know, like the police are cheating, but they're yep. honest. These are the honest cops that are cheating, and the higher ups are 
cheating more. Right, <laughs> the guy who's in charge of running the uh, the uh, anti-corruption. Oops. Yeah, yeah. He's corrupt, right? He's he's doing the uh, the Mrs. Sandoval's husband was uh, doing the payoffs, wasn't he? N- N- Debus was he? No, De- wasn't he? Who's Debus now? Oh no, Debus was trying to. Okay, yeah. Yeah, Debus is over the cops on the other side of the river or something. The, yeah, and yeah. and uh, Sandoval was the fixer. Sandoval, Sandoval, no, he was a no. straight. He was, was straight and narrow. He couldn't be bribed. It was J. Francis Flaxford who was the fixer. Yeah. Sandoval is the – his wife is cheating on him. Yeah, the wife is cheating. Oh, and this all goes back – I forgot. I forgot I was going here. So um, I, I love how, yeah, there's only seven people in Manhattan or whatever it is because when – Bernie says, yeah, I was arrested the most yes, recent time I, I was arrested. Well, that ends up being, you know, the person behind everything, right? And that's the one guy that had a gun, too. He right. says, I've only had a gun pulled on me once. Right. Oh, and then there's the second gun in the drawer of the office. And then the second right. gun in the drawer that, yes, exactly, which circles back to that gun. Right. Um, yeah, so it, it is all planted so that we can, like, when he... When he does see that second gun, right, we should, if we're given time, we should start triggering. <laughs> oh, the, nice. I didn't mean to do that. <laughs> we should be triggered to think about the earlier incident of a mention of a gun. Which we were. Well, we are I, distracted immediately by yeah. this other burglar he knows who, whenever he sees oh. a gun, he steals yeah. it and then throws it down a drain pipe right but, but before you got to that line didn't you didn't you jump to the gun but I then you started you... to and then i'm distracted so it's those are the red herrings right yeah the things thrown in there to distract you from the fact that you know you've just seen the gun on the mantelpiece right um uh this is uh, th- this is especially like this sort of thing is especially good well done on film you know what I mean, mm. where yes. you, you or I mean, on a stage, you can do it, too. But the framing of a film is so incredibly powerful and in that you can tell whole stories just by what you choose to focus in on or show or linger on. Right. Right. Um, and so the if we have a stage set, which we do have in this story. Right. Like, I wonder what if two is uh, two if by C is is uh, the play is about. It's not a real play, is it? I don't know. I don't think it is. I can't be because the Ruth Hightower thing wouldn't wouldn't um, would be too obvious. I think for oh for maybe just like Wesley Brill's not a real actor, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, although he he's <laughs> playing a Sydney Green Street type. That there really is a movie. <laughs> there really is a movie, although it's completely different. Hmm. But this, and the year after, he says it's sixty-two, but it's a nineteen sixty-three movie. Uh, I should mention also that uh, Block does that fake movies a lot. Um, there's one. Oh, I think it might be mentioned in um, in the burglar who liked to quote Kipling. Um, there's a line about might be in that book or might be in. So what what he does? So he he makes this character. He says Wesley Brill's in a 1962 movie called uh the man in the middle 
he yeah. plays the second cabbie, um, and the star is James Garner, right? Yeah. So James Garner is a real actor. He's been in lots of movies. Um, you could expect him to be in some such movie before the Internet Movie Database and Wikipedia could allow you to look it up. It could be a real movie, right? Um, but there's a, a book slash movie that he uses over and over again as one of these sort of um, making the world a little like ours but slightly different kind of thing. And it's it's the sound of distant drums. So... What does that mean, a sound of distant drums? Just like the man in the middle? It's one yeah. of these phrases that gets used, right? A man in the middle attack is a kind of uh, um, hacking thing. Right. Um, and then, you know, a sound of distant drums indicates war, maybe. These are things that suggest... That's what I thought when you said that, the, the drum was war. Right. It, it, I mean, war drums, right? It's got to yeah. be what it's about right it's it suggests rather than says and Mm -hmm. so when we get these little things thrown in um we don't know what to make of it but it gives us a certain feeling and uh he's a master manipulator here block yeah right because it it seems so real it's it's verisimilitude right it's yes yeah a two if by c it's um one if by land and two if by c so when he throws that in there Later on, um, he says, Bernie says, you flinched when I said uh, the little doggerel of one if by two, one if by land, two if by sea, and Ruth Hightower in the opposite shore will be. Yeah. And she freaked out. Uh, I didn't remember her freaking out at the time. I I don't either. I do remember her flinching a little bit. But... I think we're supposed to be immediately distracted by whatever the next thing is, right? That careful orchestration of our yeah. avoidance of the fact that we're seeing evidence laid out before us. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, maybe he'd make a really good defense attorney. Uh, Probably. What do you think? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Knowing how to uh, persuade the the jury. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not to convict him of whatever crime it was. It's a, you'll get them thinking about something completely different. Yeah, and then just charm them. And then charm them. them. Yeah. He, he certainly charmed me out of a lot of money. I spent a lot of money <laughs> on Lawrence Black books. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, not in the grand scheme of things, but I do have a lot of them. So when I when I was um, when I was looking at the very beginning of like I went back and I and I was looking at at the at the start of the book and mm-hmm. and he talks about. Because I was looking at when did this all this re- references start for mm-hmm. um, actors and and theater and and stuff, and and he says right off at the at the very top um, he was looking for a stairwell and, and he said I I think I must have done it because I saw it in a movie once and I was impressed mm-hmm. and um and and when I when I read that I thought maybe the guy that did it was Wesley Brill. <laughs> yep. And it's like, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty funny. Um, it, just straight off from the beginning, right? That he was going East and I was going West. He says he was headed towards Mecca. Yes. <laughs> and, um, and then, you know, he's playing a role right from the very beginning. He's being yeah. dishonest yeah. with just the man walking beside him. Like we have a previous relationship. 
Um, yeah. And then through the he's wearing carrying the Bloomingdale's bag as his prop, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's an actor. He's an actor. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, he's not. He he doesn't carry a Jimmy, right? A Jimmy stick and uh, kick down doors and steal your television. He's he's uh. No, he he's leaves a that to the man, right? Yeah. So I'm glad you uh, experienced this book with me. Yeah, me too. I really am. Thought it was. Uh, I thought it was really, really great. It, it's it, there's almost not that much to say about it other than it's incredibly enjoyable. Yeah. Did you, did you, um, uh, yeah, there really is. But, but as I was like, um, preparing for this and mm-hmm. I, I, cause I had not read the, the purloined letter before mm-hmm. and, and then I read it and like, there was stuff, it was as if he had like in, in the purloined letter, Mm-hmm. They they talk about examining the furniture and opening every possible drawer. And, right. And, you know, he I'd forgotten he's about that. You're right. And then and then they talk about taking all the books and like and shaking them and and which is what he did. Right. Like there was so much there was so much in there that that I didn't that I didn't notice while I was reading. It was when I when I went back to you know, I said, okay, well, what is this purloined letter? Like, what's going on here? And I started to see how much there was. Like, yeah. it was just it's just a great read. And then, and then, and then the layers started. Um, you it's know, it's really built out of something, right? <laughs> it's not, it's not, um, you know, just I slapdash this thing together. It's yeah. some yeah. sort of depth of reading, bringing right. that together with his own personal problems at the time, mm-hmm. and then. Crafting in a very, almost musical way, how every point needs to work and and fit in all together. I can't say all the other books in the series uh, are like this in the in the you know there's this well crafted. Yeah. Um, because you know it's a series. It's kind of made to make money in a certain sense. Um, and a recipe, you know, you can. But on the other hand. You get to spend time with Bernie, which is a very positive thing, right? Mm-hmm. And they are mysteries, which is an intellectual enter- exercise, right? Um, which is part of the – one of the ways of enjoying reading is just read mysteries. Uh, try and solve the mystery along with the, the sleuth. Who done it? Um, yeah. We don't get that kind of satisfaction in our life oftentimes, right? So I don't understand how anybody spends any time – paying much attention to most of what's going on in the news, like political wise, because Mm -hmm. we don't know almost anything about what's actually going on. If you want to know about Watergate, now's the time to read about it, right? (laughs) Because we we know everything that was going on. That's true. That's true. If you want to know what's going on now, wait 20 years, because then you'll know a lot more. It's water right now. (laughs) That's right. It's very muddy water right now. Um, whereas, uh, if you want to, you know, have a chance of, um, using your intellectual abilities with the, with, with, um, some satisfaction as a possible result, mysteries are that kind of exercise, right? A good mystery novel, mm-hmm. um, is, you know, it, it, you're given all the facts, so the fact that you don't you don't solve the mystery is um, 
it, it challenges you to do better next time, right? Yes, yes. Do you think you could have solved this one? I think that I was cheated. But yeah. that doesn't mean that doesn't stop me from trying to solve the next one. So I feel like <laughs> Roy Kirschman in a certain sense, right? I was mm-hmm. cheated out of my rightful caller, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but on the other hand, I came out with a lot of cash in my pocket. <laughs> in this yeah. case, the lot of cash is the enjoyment of having a great reading experience. But yes, I think I think that that um, Bernie doesn't play fair and neither does Lawrence Block but that's okay I don't mind oh I don't mind either but yeah I don't, I, no, we, tar- we were totally cheated but yeah. yes but yeah. I, I don't feel bad about it. <laughs> um, one of my one of my favorite bits was mm-hmm. it said a bed is a bed is a bed right this is no better roses <laughs> <laughs> that's right. I feel like this it was a bed of roses so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah we don't have much I mean uh, there it, what, what I like about it too is it's so set apart from our world. Remember reading um, uh, about you know Los Angeles in the 1940s and 50s, right? It's it's set apart. We we see how much the price of a sandwich is, right? The late yeah. 1970s uh, or mid 1970s, very different world from our world. Yes, yeah, so everybody so- smokes, right? Mm-hmm. Um, no internet. No cell phones. Computers not mentioned once, right? Long distance phone calls and phone books. Yeah. Even. Answering services. Answering <laughs> services, yeah. Um, the city's there, right? The sky, uh, the yeah. the subway's still there, but the world has been transformed, and and seeing this is like a visiting uh, an earlier time and a a simpler time when people. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of sort of uh, sexism, I guess, of the period in there, and yeah, it's quaint. It is quaint. <laughs> it is. I mean, slightly askew, slightly indeed, slightly out of focus. I mean, in terms of you know things that are that seem real but aren't real, movies that could be but aren't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, I, I guess we're pretty much done. What do you think? I think so. Good job. There was some echo for a little while. I don't know what that oh, was. was. There? I didn't hear it I, on my end. Oh, really? Okay, good. So it was just here. Okay. Yeah, I think we're all right. I'll press yeah. The no, it's such. It was a really fun book, and we found more to talk about about it than I was expecting. Yeah, you know, I I, uh, I was worried about it because it's it's just so enjoyable, and that's not enjoyable doesn't necessarily make for. Um, uh, Good discussion. Yeah, I mean, there's no arguments to be made, right? Um, no. Yeah, but yeah, I, I'm glad you enjoyed it. Um, I was kind of worried about it because it is so just enjoyable. This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com. game life is so happy for him you couldn't pay me to go really to a baseball game i mean i guess if i could look at my phone (laughs) 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 you could pay me to go but i really wouldn't want to go
Really? Yeah. It's his favorite thing. He goes every opportunity he can. They watch it. His poor girlfriend. He, she, he, and it's uh, not like uh, football where it's only on weekends. It's freaking every day. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, they won tickets to see it in the, you know, the, the re- there's a restaurant in the dome, so you can watch it from the restaurant window. Oh, at least you're eating. Yeah. <laughs> there's probably Wi-Fi in there. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> I do not, I do not see the appeal, but that's okay. Of, of all the sports, that's the one that I could tolerate the most. Baseball? Yeah. I'll tell you. I have no problem with sports as long as I'm one of the people playing um, uh-huh. because then it's exciting. Right. But yeah. watching other people do it, uh, I, I, I have trouble. It ha- well, I has no interest to me either, but I mean, yeah, baseball is the one I would watch if my son wants to keep my, to sit in the, sit in the same room with my son. I'll watch baseball game. Right. Well, yeah, that's just being social though. No. Yeah. Yeah. All right, uh, so let's do a show on a book. All right. Um, quarter's working. Uh, let me get the Wikipedia entry up. I haven't looked at that yet. I'm going through old DC comic books at the moment, so there's a lot of tweeting. Looks like you're having fun. There's a lot of hilarious images, and I couldn't believe how many girl comics there were back then. Really? I, I saw the one you did with Wonder Woman when her mom died. I thought yeah. that was pretty cool. But there's a whole bunch of ones. Like One's called Young Romance. Another one's Secret Hearts. Girls oh, those, those are the love. girl ones. Oh. Yeah, girls, love stories, falling in love. And the one thing that's uh, – the, uh, there's many things they all have in common. One of the things they ha- all have in common is every woman on every cover is – well, yep. <laughs> Just Oh, there's an exception. They're always crying. Really? Uh, on every cover, yeah. It's hilarious. And then the other thing it's that funny. they're all written by men and drawn by men. Yeah. Is, <laughs> so right. The stereotypes are just like apparently women's options where you can cry uh, and be jealous of girls stealing your boyfriends. and oh, mm-hmm. They're so funny. Yeah. Yeah. Me laugh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, Wikipedia entry. I gotta remember to, yeah, Wikipedia. Uh, burglars. 